the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investingunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. Welcome to episode 12 of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. On the line as ever, I'm joined by co-host Mo Nella. And we're having to do it at a funny time today because load shedding has reared its ugly head again, uh, stage three, although nothing about my ESCOM app actually lined up today. So we've taken some evasive action with an earlier recording today. Not sure if we even needed to do it. Then on Twitter earlier, I saw someone reference stage eight, and that was so utterly frightening that I just stopped reading. So I'm kind of hoping that's a scam. Um, but I suppose I suppose time will tell. Mo, can you believe you still have to work your day around load shedding, even though you're in Canada? The joy of having a South African co-host, eh? Ghost, you know, load shedding will follow you wherever you are in the world. And whether you call it load shedding or brownouts or whatever they call it up here in North America, uh, definitely still impacting us. I want to tell you, stage eight is a real stage. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing some some work looking at the impact on the economy from the, the load shedding. And stage eight is definitely a real stage. So don't be too terrified. But, uh, you know, stage three, stage four, it, it gets really hairy from here on out. And, uh, you know, I, I can commiserate simply because it's impacting our schedule up here on this podcast recording as well. I tweeted earlier that I, I literally saw the, the ESCOM announcement. And then two seconds later on Twitter, I was bombarded with a KFC milkshake advert. And I just thought, you know, <laughs> this is great. These people are working together. They're giving me the problem and then they're giving me something to make me to make me feel better. So Mo, last week we had a chat with Craig Antoni, the Chief Investment Officer of Anbro Capital Investments, and we had such a good chat about some of the fundamentals that they look for in making investments for the long term um, in the equity space. And they do a lot of work in the tech space, but not just that. You know, they're also looking at consumer trends and healthcare and, and all of those sorts of things. And you wrote a really cool mailer this week, I think, around some of the more interesting ratios that you use at a macro level to actually guide your investments. And I think that's you know what Magic Markets is all about at the end of the day, is we like to look at the, the fundamentals behind specific companies and then also look at some of the macro stuff. But before we get into that, just something on the lighter side of lockdown, it was great to see um, some really good sales numbers out of companies like Hasbro and Mattel, and these are, are, are toy companies. And it actually tells us that over lockdown, a hell of a lot of parents were sitting at home playing with their kids, which is, you know, which is great, isn't it? I mean, you've got kids as, you know, I have a little one as well. And uh, isn't it nice to see that, that one of the upsides of the pandemic, I suppose, has been families actually spending more time together and toy companies making lots of money. I mean, that's pretty cool to actually see. 100%. I mean, I've got two young daughters and what's become one of their, their most uh, favorite pastimes on, on weekends are playing some board games. Because I don't have to tell you, you know, when you're sitting with minus 15 degrees outside, uh, you want to kind of hunker down, stay at home. And my daughter was lucky enough to get a, a Disney Princess uh, Monopoly set. 
Uh, and that's quite nice because now I'm supporting both Disney as well as Mattel uh, or Hasbro in that uh, in that instance uh, in terms of this this big drive on sale. So yeah, I think that's that's a silver lining, and uh, it's always good to to see some good news come out there. It's also very important for our listeners because it shows you that despite how bearish or negative the macro outlook may be on the surface, that there would still be some companies, if you're smart enough, where you'd be able to go there and cherry pick some stuff in terms of your investment thesis and still make some money to add to that silver lining uh, that uh, a good news story like this brings. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those toy companies will be only too happy with ESCOM as well, because you don't need electricity for board games. So maybe we're all heading back to a simpler life. But speaking of industries that have made money, uh, the South African headlines over the past week have been dominated by the mining houses releasing absolute blockbuster results. Goldfields earnings have quadrupled. Anglo Gold Ashanti earnings are three times higher. Now, a lot of that is just driven by the gold price. Their share price is correlated with the gold price. And what that means is that they typically move together. And you would measure that with something like an R squared. And, you know, the gold spot is still hanging around above $1,800. There was a worry that it might dip below that, but it seems to have consolidated there. Now, for our local miners, what's important is the RAND gold price, which, it, which is what makes commodities quite tricky to invest in because you need to have a view on a bunch of things, the metal price, where the RAND is going to be, all that kind of thing. But you know, where the RAND has been and where gold has been has allowed these gold miners to honestly make out like bandits. The results have been fantastic. And it's not just gold. So Sabanya Stillwater also, blockbuster results, earnings of 30 billion RAND, up from 62 million RAND the previous year. So that's 62 million up to 30 billion. So we won't bother quoting a percentage there. But a lot of the story there is just Sabanya Stillwater, you know, coming out of this this debt trap that they were in when, you know, frontman Neil Froneman very bravely did a very debt-heavy deal to acquire Stillwater. And there are a lot of people in the market who will not bet against that man. And once again, it's been proven true. So fantastic results out of them. But they are more in the platinum space, which is another important metal. Um, and platinum has been on a very steady increase. So whilst gold is more of a safe haven asset and, you, you know, it lets you take a view on a bunch of things, Platinum at the end of the day is used in the automotive industry. And you've also got a situation where South Africa produces something like three quarters of the world's platinum. So the platinum price is driven by somewhat more fundamental things than gold, which can be a little bit esoteric. And there's the argument of whether or not Bitcoin might replace it. But platinum is an industrial metal. And stuff like, you know, the vaccine not working in South Africa will continue to give support to the platinum price as people become more concerned around, well, what could happen in South Africa if a third wave happens to rear its hideous head? So these share prices are really correlated with the metals. It makes life interesting for equity holders in this space. But in your mailer, you talked about something else, which I'd never heard of, called the lumber-gold ratio. And I thought, let's, let's discuss some of the stuff in your mailer, starting with that, because it, I just found it really interesting, these macro ratios that help you make these more high-level decisions around your investments. I think uh, thanks, Ghost. That's a, that's a nice segue into into some of the content of the mail. I want to step back a little bit and you know just maybe some quick views on on the resource cycle. South African companies, you know, bearing in mind these results are based on commodity prices that were very much higher during the course of last year. As a, as you mentioned, the, the the resource price as well as the weaker rand through that that cycle. Uh, if you look at something like gold uh, or the rand gold price specifically, uh, that's currently trading around twenty to thirty percent below what the average price was for last year. So. 
always for listeners, bear in mind that, you know, your results will be lagging a little bit. They'll be tracking the gold price from last year as the company reports now. But also the fact that a lot of those miners are very leveraged plays on the underlying commodity view. Uh, you mentioned Sibania Stillwater. I mean, they've got uh, interest up here in North America, obviously, with the Stillwater deal and so forth. Uh, Canada, also a country that's got a reasonably large uh, gold deposit, a reasonably large platinum deposit, certainly not uh, the, the kind of scale that you're seeing in South Africa. And it lends itself to the first point. I remember when platinum prices back in 08 went through 2,000 an ounce. Uh, and back then, South Africa, with its massive resource endowment, was unable to capitalize on those kinds of commodity prices because, lo and behold, that was the first round of load shedding that the economy was going through back then. So bear in mind, they tend to feed itself uh, if production is curtailed because of something like load shedding, as an example. A lot of these companies have tried to de-risk that to move off-grid. But that also feeds in. If you're a large supplier and you can't supply the market and the demand's fairly strong, that supply-demand dynamic tends to actually exacerbate and support uh, certainly what you're seeing on a, on a metal like platinum where South Africa has an outsized influence in terms of global supply. Let's go back to it. Uh, you, you had mentioned my mailer. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I have a blog. It's mo-nose.com. Uh, go and have a look. You can subscribe to my weekly newsletter there. And some of the indicators that I'd actually had a look at, uh, you mentioned the lumber-gold ratio, is on a very macro basis. Uh, I'd like, everyone knows gold is the safe haven. Uh, so how do you measure safe haven demand against expectations around the economy? What are we expecting around growth? And one of those back of the napkin indicators is you look at lumber prices relative to gold. Now, why lumber? Again, here in North America specifically, but probably a lot of Europe as well. Lumber tends to be one of your main construction uh, components when you're looking at houses, for example, any construction for that matter. The houses are built out of wood up here. And so it stands to reason that if lumber demand is strong and the price is actually rallying, it means that there's a lot of investment going into construction. It's almost like a home builders type of index. And so I like to look at lumber to gold to say, are expectations around the economy, lumber, construction, all of that stronger than demand for gold as a safe haven? So that's that's one indicator. And as that ratio rises, it tells you that you're in a risk on scenario in a risk on phase when that ratio gets quite extended as it is right now it's over one standard deviation away from its, its kind of long run average that tells you that the market is entering a phase of greed and and why i look at this it's just one of the components that i feed into a broader fear and greed analysis if you want to call it that so that's the one ratio um, i guess the other ratio while we're on the topic of gold is then i look at oil and gold because again, it stands to reason. If the economy is going quite well, oil that tends to kind of grease the wheels, transportation, that tends to also be a reasonably good indicator. Now, with oil specifically, as you can imagine, with global lockdowns, with travel restrictions, oil demand has not been fantastic. And so ironically, when you look at the oil to gold ratio right now, it's not extended. It's not going in the same direction uh, or is not as extended as the lumber gold ratio. In fact, it's sitting in more kind of a fear territory. So those two indicators are giving us contrary uh, viewpoints right now. And it's why you've got to start looking a little bit deeper. Um, I, I don't know if you had the chance to look through the entire piece, but I do discuss some of the other indicators, uh, for example, like the volatility or VIX index. And I don't know if you maybe want to share with the listeners, you know, whether you look at that uh, and how you view it. Yeah, I mean, well, I think for some South Africans, VIX is, is what you use as an indicator of whether or not you have coronavirus. I mean, that's certainly what uh, Mrs. Ghost and I were putting in our noses when we lost our smell. Um, before, before we get into VIX, though, one point is, I suppose, the oil gold index is suffering from the fact that people aren't really moving around. So is it a little bit of a, 
a misread at the moment. Isn't the lumber gold index suffering from the fact that people are probably investing more in their homes than they ever have before because that's where they are now spending literally all their time? And we've seen that come through in a bunch of JSC listed companies, actually. It's Altal, uh, Cashbuild, most recently Trellidor. There's been this definite spike in people investing in their homes. And I suppose it shows you have to... Uh, I suppose you have to interpret some of these ratios with, you know, a fair bit of caution. And, and maybe that's a good lead in, into you actually, you know, telling us about the VIX index. I mean, my understanding, it's always been a, a volatility index, ultimately. It's it's the ultimate fear index, isn't it? And, you know, what what is it and how do you actually use it in a practical trading sense? Yeah, so you're absolutely right, Ghost. In terms of the lumber index, you know, that that's correlating with some of the home builder stocks that you find here up in the US, like Dr. Hortons and Lena, and those stocks have all done really, really well. So I think there's a large component of people investing in their homes. They're spending a lot more time at home, and there's definitely that coming through. Uh, oil, as you indicated, you know, maybe these are not exactly the right indicators. It's why you've got to look broader. So VIX, uh, yes, we, we do get VIX vapor rub up here. You know, big fans, we've got it in, in our house as well. And um, but the VIX index, uh, for those not familiar with it, uh, standing for volatility index, effectively, and, and spelled V I X, not V I C K S, before anyone yes, goes and yes. tries to trade. VIX so the VIX index measures equity volatility effectively on the S&P 500. And it's, it's it's a bit of a concurrent rather than a leading indicator. So it kind of tracks, you know, what expectations are in terms of volatility going forward 30 days. Uh, but it's one of those very important indicators because if you look at it historically, you know, VIX or volatility tends to decrease when things are going well. Uh, and we've actually seen the VIX index over the course of the last couple of years, certainly through 2018, 2019, trend to levels of around 10. Now, you can interpret that as 10%, but it's 10 if you're just reading it as an index. And, you know, obviously we had the blowout that came through from the pandemic last year and levels there reached in excess of 80%. Uh, those were very much reminiscent of global financial crisis type of, 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 of volatility that we had picked up. And that's an extreme fear event. Uh, subsequent to that, it has pulled back down. It's been kind of finding a floor around 20% there and thereabouts, which first and foremost is already telling you that there is a, a pandemic risk premium in markets, if you want to call it that. You know, we've moved from a VIX of 10 to a VIX of 20. It's telling you that there's maybe a little bit more, more volatility uh, priced into the markets right now. But why I'm watching this and, and what makes me a little bit uneasy, the reason I wrote that particular blog post is that over the course of the last couple of trading sessions, the market looks as though just tactically short term, it's running out of a little bit of steam. We can go into valuations and, and, and that quite shortly. But the VIX index has also started ticking up. Certainly over the course of the last two to three days, we've started to see that tick up again. It's moving from around 20 to, let's say, the mid-20s right now. And once we breach, call it 25 and start heading towards 30, that for me is probably one of the biggest short-term risk flags to say, hey, you know what, we might be getting a, a shorter-term correction. Uh, and that certainly does correlate with some of the longer-term fundamental charts that we can chat about as well. Because there you can look at things like, you know, what are valuations doing? Are companies priced correctly or not? Yeah, and some of that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So people watch the VIX index and then it hits a certain level and they go, ooh, it's time to maybe get worried. And then they sell off and then the market comes off a bit and everyone goes, see, it was right. <laughs> and I guess <laughs> I guess technicals have a little bit of a challenge there. But I mean, if you, if you know how these technicals work, then you can try and position yourself correctly for the self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, rather be on the right side of it than the wrong side of it. Yeah, I, I'll tell you how I use it, Ghost. I mean, you know, I don't think there's any single discipline that 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 
adjudicates how you should manage your money. I am a macro specialist. I look at things from a macro perspective. I then like to plug into people who look at it from a bottoms up, from a fundamentals perspective. It's why we had Craig and Tony from Anbro Capital Investments on on the last show. Uh, and if you haven't listened to it, go and have a listen to it. The, the episode is titled, uh, what was it? It was Tech Truffles and Unicorns. Um, so, so go and have a look at that. But I look at technicals from a tactical, from a shorter term perspective. Uh, yes, it does tend to be self-fulfilling if everyone's looking at the same thing. They're looking at similar support and resistance levels. And that's generally why the stocks in the shorter term tend to behave. I use technicals very much tactically. Uh, I use them to identify you know, p- potential entry and exit points on, on my more tactical shorter term trades. Uh, and then I look at fundamentals. What am I praying, pay, paying for a company? Uh, what does the underlying business look like very much for my longer term portfolio? And I try and blend all of those together in my holistic approach. Yeah, and, spe- and speaking of those fundamentals, I mean, something else you had in your mailer was, and you've alluded to it already, was more around PE ratios and how you can kind of view that versus longer term trends. And, and before I ask you to comment on that uh, and price sales ratio as well, I think was in your mailer. And one point which I'll ask you to comment on as part of this explaining that is, do you think we've come to a point now where these platform businesses, these ultra growth companies, some of which we discussed last week, do they deserve to trade at these structurally higher multiples? And then does that limit the usefulness of perhaps looking back 30 or 40 years when it would take decades to build a market-leading company? You know, the days of the industrials, the the companies that Warren Buffett would have, you know, done deep dives into and, and made great long-term investments and sat in them for decades. Now we have a situation where if the right app does well, a company literally becomes a unicorn in a space of a year, two years, three years. The world has changed a bit, but um, obviously some of the principles must still apply. You know, how do you apply that in your thinking around longer term PE and, and, and some of that work? Chish, I mean, that's a bigger question than, than you realize. I mean, it's, it's almost an existential question for anyone who's who's got a CFA or whoever's a CFA charter holder because they, they drum this into you, discounted cash flow analysis. I mean, yourself goes in your in your career in corporate finance. Those are the models that we've used for, for a generation, uh, maybe two. So... Do, do I think we throw them all out right now? No. Uh, I do think that you have to be quite cautious around how you interpret your outlook in terms of some of those cash flows. Uh, and again, Craig went to an, uh, into a lot of detail of this in, in the episode last week, is that some of these tech companies will make losses for years as they build the scale as they build the platform and then very quickly can switch into a positive free cash flow position and start spinning tons of money. Uh, we mentioned Amazon as an example that has traded on a PE of, of 80 for the longest time. And it stayed there because the earnings have continued to catch up as the share price has continued to ratchet up. So I don't think a simplistic approach of uh, I only buy stocks with single digit PEs is the way to go. Uh, we know that value has been a deep value trap for, for the longest time now. A lot of people are out there proclaiming value is dead. Uh, I don't think the arguments are as simplistic as that. I think you've got to look at each. If you're buying stocks, specific stocks, you've got to look at the business. I have stocks in my portfolio that trade at PEs north of 35, north of 40. And that's because when I look at the runway, when I look at what is the potential for this business to grow in their respective market, I believe in that. And so I don't just look at that particular indicator. So PEs, uh, if we can jump into it, I mentioned the cyclically adjusted PE because I I think that's important. It kind of adjusts for through the cycle inflation. Uh, And even when you look at that as an indicator, you know, we're at levels of uh, on the S&P of over 35 times. It means that 
in average, you're buying a stock. When you buy a stock today, you're waiting for 35 years worth of earnings in order to justify that. Now, I also look at the inverse of that. So the inverse of the PE is effectively the earnings yield. And so I look at what is the earnings yield on the S&P 500 versus what I can earn in the risk-free rate, the U.S. Treasury. And that also, I mean, incidentally, while we're on it, when you look at that ratio, it's not as extended as, for example, what a P.E. ratio suggests or what a price to sale suggests, which means that whilst some caution is certainly warranted in the market, I'm certainly not out there saying this whole thing's going to fall in a heap and markets are going to collapse by 50%. I don't have a crystal ball. We, that's why we don't give financial advice on the show. But it's the reason why all of these little factors go into what I call my risk matrix to say, is the market at a state of fear? If it's in a state of fear, you want to be kind of buying that because that's where the value exists. Uh, and if it's in a state of greed, that's where you want to tend to be a little bit more cautious. I'm not saying cut all of your exposure, but just be a little bit more circumspect in terms of some of the risks that you're putting on the portfolio. Yeah, and Mo, just to speak to the, you know, to the ratios points and, and certainly my time in corporate finance, yeah, all those fundamental ratios absolutely apply. And all we have to do is, is interpret them properly. And a lot of it comes down to forward multiples, which is a really important concept. It's about what this company is promising to do in terms of growth going forward. I remember speaking of my days in corporate finance, one of my favorite interview questions to ask uh, young analysts who wanted to, to get in, at the time, Curo was trading on an insane trailing multiple and Advertech was not. You know, It was trading on a much more mature multiple. And we would talk about forward multiples and the whole idea was, okay, well, you know, is Curo necessarily that much more expensive? What sort of growth are they promising? And then one of the questions would be, okay, well, if they're on the same forward multiple, which one would you buy? And I would always say Advertech because it's promising less, so it's easier to deliver. And time has judged my view kindly and has not been kind to Curo shareholders because that share price has fallen off a cliff because it was pricing in just this insane growth that I always felt was going to be undeliverable. And, and that's for a number of reasons. It's bricks and mortar. It's the South African middle-class consumer. In a lot of these companies like Amazon, actually, it probably can deliver that growth. And I'm also an Amazon shareholder, and I believe it can deliver that growth personally. You know, that's why it's in my portfolio. Otherwise, I wouldn't be buying it. So yeah, the principles are right. It's just about applying them to this modern world and how powerful these platform businesses can actually be. And then as you say, using a few tricks to understand fear and greed and market timing and tactics and that's ultimately what Magic Markets is about. It's about bringing all of this together in the pursuit of, of hoping to make a bit more money in the markets, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's also about equipping people to make sure that, you know, we're sharing the kind of tools that we have. It's an educational platform. Uh, and again, it's not about financial advice. It's about how I'm managing my money, how I tend to look at the world, ghost, how you tend to look at the world. I mean, sometimes, you know, I might share something with you and, and you will incorporate that into your kind of mental model and your holistic view and vice versa. That's the purpose of magic markets is that as we continue to share some of these, these, these points, these nuggets of wisdom that we've picked up even from, from other people and so forth, it becomes a network effect. It becomes becomes a lot more powerful. And I think that talks to what we're trying to achieve here. Absolutely, Ma. I think that's what we have time for before ESCOM moves on to stage 27F. But thank you as ever for your time. And it was fun to give you a reminder of life in South Africa by candlelight. And I look forward to chatting next week as ever. Thanks so much, Ghost, and, and thanks to our listeners. Uh, you are what makes Magic Markets what it is. So if you haven't yet, please go on, subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice, uh, and remember to give us a great rating and a like. Share the love, share the news with your friends as well. Uh, let's build the show and let's keep doing what we're doing. Thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. 
The Unicorn Portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorised financial services provider. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.